and welcome back to Regionally Speaking. I'm Dee Dodson, and he's Tom Maloney. Since July 2020, we have all witnessed a housing market explosion. Interest rates were at an all-time low, and frankly, after months of sheltering in place, many were just looking for a change in scenery. And while the market has cooled, many are taking notes of the scores of new neighbors in the region. Micah Pollack is an associate professor of economics at Indiana University Northwest, as well as the author behind the new blog, The Region Economist. He joins us now to discuss one of his latest posts titled Northwest Indiana Population Migration Patterns. In it, Micah shares that between 2015 and 2019, Lake County welcomed 22,292 people, with 53% coming from just across the state line in Illinois. Micah, there is so much to unpack with the data you present in your blog, and so we thank you so much for joining us today on Regionally Speaking. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Micah, as I shared in my opening, we are so excited to have you join us on Regionally Speaking to talk about your new blog, The Region Economist, because let's be real, you were called on time and again from local as well as statewide media outlets, including us here at Lakeshore Public Radio, to help us all understand economic data. And even more so during the height of the pandemic, we all tuned in faithfully to your social media accounts for clarity on how the coronavirus impacted us in real time. Your charts as well as your graphs were shared by countless Twitter users because those visuals helped us all digest all of the messaging as well as the technical terminology that we were inundated with from the media, from our government officials, and even some of the misinformation that we may have heard from our friends and neighbors. So before we dig into one of your more recent blog posts, Michael, you're already so busy. Take a moment to give us some background into why you decided to start your own blog. Yeah, so, I mean, for a while now, it's been over a decade, I've been doing economic analysis for Northwest Indiana. And, you know, it, how I kind of get that out to the people has, has changed over time. You know, at, at first, it was mostly in-person kind of presentations and events, and, and those still happen. But, you know, especially during COVID, I wanted a way to kind of reach out to people more broadly and, and more easily. And I did that initially on Twitter and had a big following there, did a lot of economic analysis and COVID analysis. Um, and then, you know, the recent months or year or so with what's happening on Twitter, I've been kind of looking to move to a different platform. So, so I'm active on Mastodon. I do a little bit, uh, you know, on different sites. But um, I really found that I needed a place to be able to write a little bit more than, you know, 144 characters or whatever the platform maximum was. And so, um, yes, yeah, so I created a blog. It's called The Region Economist. It's just regionecon.com if you want to go and check it out. And I'm still kind of figuring out exactly what people want to see there. Right now, it's a mix of kind of COVID updates, the type of stuff you would get um, you know, on Twitter you know, during the pandemic, and um, general economic updates, and also kind of special topics or, or things that kind of catch my interest for Northwest Indiana, where I can kind of put some graphs and talk about them a little bit more and go a little bit more in depth than maybe I've been able to as well before. And you know, it's a place where people can comment and, and ask me questions, and we can have a little bit of a discussion. Great. So speaking of what people want to see, what caught my eye was a blog that you wrote. Tom sent it to me, and it's titled Northwest Indiana Population Migration Patterns. And it caught my eye because Tom and I have a conversation probably weekly about me wanting to migrate to Indiana. I keep trying. I'm trying. There's a lot of great places to live here, Dee. Absolutely. Uh, now, she is on the uh, the other side of the border. We won't name the state, but... Um, 
It is it is one that is uh, prominent in migration patterns for folks, uh, specifically in Lake County. Of course, the state is Illinois, and the, the, the biggest county is Cook. Micah, talk with us about the changing migrational patterns of really the Chicagoland area specific to Lake County. Yeah, so this is something I've been looking at, you know, for, for over a decade. And I think this is an example of where, like, a blog like this is helpful because I, I kind of understood this and I had the data and had graphs. And this was a chance to kind of put it together in one place. I was like, I need to write about this because maybe people don't see it. And, you know, I want to, something interesting is happening here. And, and there's a really clear pattern, and it's been going on for, for decades, um, that most of the people moving to Lake County come from, again, not surprisingly, Illinois, and, and most of those people come from the Chicago area, Cook County, or kind of the surrounding counties. And, and that's pretty much where all our population growth comes from. You know, our, our natural birth rate doesn't really keep up with the people leaving the county. And so we have this inflow of people coming from Chicago, and whether you like it or dislike it as a resident, you know, you're free to have either, either opinion. But, but that's where our population is coming from. And then what's really interesting is that Lake County isn't really their final destination. Most of them kind of use that as a stepping stone to go somewhere else. So a lot of people then go on to either Indianapolis, um, you know, maybe they use this as a chance to kind of get some education and they go on to uh, maybe a place where there's more jobs that are appropriate for higher educated workers. Um, or if you're maybe moving here for kind of family reasons, you, you start out coming from Cook County to Lake County, but then you tend to go east. You move off into Porter County or Laporte County, where maybe you can get more land or have a little bit more rural experience or the cost of living is a little bit lower. And, and again, this trend has been going on for a long time. So it's not anything new, but it, it's kind of surprising to see it kind of laid out so clearly that we really rely on this pipeline of population coming from Chicago to maintain the population here in Lake County. And if that dried up, um, we would be losing a lot of population in Northwest Indiana. Actually, uh, my family and I, uh, recently moved and uh, we, we stayed in Lake County. We moved from uh, Lake County point A to Lake County point B, but uh, actually for more land. And um, ironically enough, we, we found it right up the road uh, just off of Route 30. And, um, you know, we were out in Laporte. We were down in Newton and Jasper counties. We were out and around, um, you know, DeMott and Rensselaer uh, out in Wheatfield and Winnemac and over into Laporte and Valparaiso and really uh, uh, quite a different change of life. And you note in the blog that uh, there are folks coming from other spots across Indiana as well to Lake County. Uh, let's talk about some of those migrational patterns from, uh, you know, Indiana Point A to Indiana Point B being Lake County, that it's not just Chicago, but it's other Hoosiers coming up north. Yeah, that's the second biggest source. So, you know, Chicago by far, um, I think it was more than half the people that come into Lake County come from Illinois, with more than half of those coming from Cook County and Chicago. But we do get about a third of the inflow population coming from the rest of Indiana. It's mostly rural areas, so Jasper County, but, you know, you also have Howard County in there, you know, over by Kokomo, and then also Elkhart County, even DeKalb County. Um, and, you know, it, you can kind of guess why this is happening or, or make hypotheses, but I think what we're mostly seeing is that people are moving to Lake County is kind of like a, a stepping stone to kind of move on to the next stage of their life, whether it's, you know, they're in search of education, they're coming from the universities, or they're in search of a job, maybe in the steel mills or something like that. And so, so they're generally looking for uh, to move to a county where they can get a little bit more, you know, housing for their, their money. Maybe they, they live a little bit more metropolitan kind of experience. Um, and, and then, 
unfortunately, you know, they come here, but then they don't stay here. We can move on to Indianapolis and, and really is kind of a stepping stone right now in Lake County, which we need to work on because we want people to move into Lake County. That's important. I mean, if you don't have that full people, then we've got trouble. But we want them to want, want to be here long term, to, to be this to be a place where they want to live and raise a family, not, you know, it's someplace that allows them to reach to Indianapolis or Chicago or Minneapolis or something like that. We're talking with Micah Pollock, economist and professor at IUN here on Regionally Speaking. Micah, so where are Hoosiers moving to? In, in the blog, I think it was a net loss of 359 people who, who left Lake County. Um, they're not all moving to sunshine and blue skies out uh, out west or down south. Where, where are most uh, Lake County uh, folks moving to? Yeah, surprisingly, if we look at the, the counties that they're most likely to move to, their Porter County is, is the number one county. So maybe if you take your story, for example, you want to have a little bit more property, maybe you don't want to live in such a dense area, you know, some acreage. So you look out in Porter County where maybe you can still commute. The second highest is actually Cook County. So we have a lot of people moving back to Chicago as well. Not as many as come from Chicago, but this kind of plays into the idea that you know, Lake County is a place that then some people use the stepping stone. So maybe you move from Jasper County to Lake County to get an education, to work in an industry here, but then your ultimate goal is to move on to maybe Chicago where you have even more uh, employment opportunities. Um, we also see LaPorte County is another one. And then after that, we have Tippecanoe County. So people are moving for uh, likely higher education. Um, Monroe County as well. Uh, and then after that, you get a few international counties. We actually see a lot of people moving to San Diego County. And then even that one's not in Indiana, is it, Micah? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think you know those are the few that are able to make the leap from Lake County all the way to San Diego. I think we have a lot of people that end up in San Diego, actually, and I'll run into people on flights that live in California that you know know Crown Point or Munster or something like that. But you know, I, I think that if you followed the people from you know maybe say Jasper County to Lake Counties and on to Chicago, they would probably continue moving on to. New York City or L.A. Or, or something like that as well. One of our own, actually, uh, former Regionally Speaking host and reporter Steve Walsh uh, made the journey from uh, Lake County down to San Diego years ago. Uh, he now works for KPBS, and we hear a lot of his reporting on All Things Considered in Morning Edition from the flagship NPR network. So we've seen it happen firsthand here as well in that regard. Yeah, I think you and Dee are like perfect examples, and Steve as well, of this has just happened to everybody. I think we, we kind of all understood this, but just to actually see the numbers, I think, was, was kind of interesting down on paper. Absolutely. So, Micah, let me ask you a question, because I've heard you say this uh, a a few times during our conversation, and I noted it in your blog as well. um, And that's that idea of Lake County being a stepping stone. Um, And you note in the blog that that is fundamentally bad for Lake County. Can you kind of unpack why why you think that it's bad for Lake County? Yeah, so it's bad in a sense, but it's also good in a sense. I mean, if you think about a rural county where maybe someplace that nobody doesn't have any industry, doesn't have jobs, um, and nobody's moving to, that's kind of the worst-case scenario, right? You don't want to be kind of isolated in a place no one wants to live to. So in some sense, Lake County is doing well in that we people are wanting to move here, right? So we have this positive inflow for the first time. You know, in the last, last, last decade or so, we started to get net positive inflow where more people are moving into Lake County than are moving away, um, which for the decades before was not the case. So, so that's a good sign. Maybe the, the bad side of things come when you think about people leaving, Right. And so they don't move to at the moment, most of them don't move to Lake County because that's where they want to live for the rest of their life. And that's where they you know, that's the, the place that they want to be. Right. It, it's a means to an end almost. Um, and, and that's what we need to work on. We want 
Lake County to not be a means to an end of reaching, you know, a, a better job or, or more options or, or better housing. We want Lake County to be the end, right? This is the place where people want to move because it has economic opportunity and the place that people want to stay because it has quality of life and good education and all those other things that people want for, you know, maybe their full kind of life cycle. Micah, you didn't really hit on this in the uh, the blog post, but we did have an opportunity to talk with former state representative Chris Chung just a few weeks ago uh, before the holiday about brain drain in Indiana as a whole. What kind of an impact do you see having with brain drain? Granted, you're in higher education, uh, so you're I may be seeing it in, in real time. Uh, when I was uh, an adjunct over at IUN as well, um, though I let him know I got my degree from Purdue, <laughs> um, you know, I, I saw it in real time there, too, where kids saw Northwest Indiana as like, this is home, but like, this isn't where I want to be. There's no jobs here. I want to go to the city. I want to go to the coasts. I want to go where it's warm. Can can you talk with us briefly about, you know, that kind of an impact with brain drain and using Lake County as a stepping stone? Yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly right. And, and every semester I pull my freshman students and ask them near the end of class, and ask them, how many of you want to stay here in Northwest Indiana and Lake County long-term, and I will rarely get one or two people raising their hands. Like you said, most of them are, are interested in moving on. And, and that's the issue. That's, that's the stepping stone. It's kind of a means to an end. And, and at least being a means is good because it brings people here, but we need to do more than that. We want to keep them here. And some of the issues that you mentioned, you know, lack of jobs, the types of jobs, um, you know, those are things we need to deal with. And, and we do a good job in the end of educating our younger people, but the problem is as soon as we educate them, they leave. Right. And so we need to make Northwest Indiana and Indiana as a whole a place where educated workers want to be. Right. And, and I think that's the real challenge. I mean, we're halfway there with getting people to come to Lake County. Like we need to focus on how do we keep them here? Do we, we need jobs that will provide you know, work for those that are higher educated and, and, and more skilled? And, and we have a number. We have those, especially in the field industry, manufacturing, where, where you some, have some jobs that require a lot of skill. Um, but we need a richer kind of spectrum of those, and it needs to be coupled with those quality of life improvements where people say, huh, this is a nice community where I want to live, and I'd love to raise my kids here, um, and maybe I'll stay here a lot longer than I thought. You know, I'm uh, I'm nearing 40, and um, it hurts to say that out loud, especially in my knees. But nonetheless, I, I at one point lived in the city. You know, I, I came back home to Lake County after uh, also going down to uh, to Delaware County and Muncie to uh, get my undergrad degree at Ball State. And, you know, Lake County is where the family was. Lake County was where my friends still were at the time before they have all scattered across the country. So, you know, as I get older, for me, the quality of life in Lake County is pretty fantastic. Granted, we have, you know, air pollution issues and smog days during the summer, but, you know, we've got a beautiful lakefront. We've got a, a ton of trails. Shout out to Mitch Barloga, who I'm sure is going to be listening to this conversation. The trails are of Northwest Indiana. Getting out there, we've got the dunes. It's now a national park as opposed to just a state park. We've got some minor league baseball available at the Steel Yard. Uh, we had a conversation, I think, back in the summer, D, about what to do, kind of staycation ideas for Northwestern Indiana. Mm-hmm. You know, the quality of life here is pretty great. There's several universities, but the pay, the money that you can earn in Northwest Indiana is just so palpable compared to what you can get in Chicago, what you can get on the coasts. You know, how do the jobs of the region figure that out in order to make these, make people want to stay? You want to stay because it's a great, well, it's a great area, but 
man, San Diego is a great area. You know, like Houston, Texas, where a lot of uh, folks from Northwest Indiana have moved to in, in the blog, as you noted, is a great area. You know, there's a lot of great areas. But ultimately, you know, I think money's a big factor. How do how do companies take take a hard look at those those dollars going to the employee in terms of making those modifications to not have to lose that employee after a couple of years? Wow, yeah, so you've got a ton of stuff in there I want to try to unpack a little bit. So uh, first I want to acknowledge that we are actually making leaps and bounds of improvements in terms of quality of life here. You know, you've mentioned the trails, the national parks. There are so many initiatives um, just in the, you know, that have been happening with the next region and the forum and NERPC and, and many other organizations that I, I could spend a long time listing off to improve quality of life. And, and those are having real impact here, and, and they're incredibly important. I think what we're seeing, and maybe you're kind of a model of this, is when you have younger, maybe college-educated, you know, they graduate college, they move off to find job prospects, and then when they're a little bit older, maybe ready to have a family, maybe they've got some savings set, you know, and, and then the actual annual salary doesn't matter quite as much, quality of place matters maybe more, they come back. But what we're missing is kind of that middle stage. So we really don't shouldn't be sending these young, educated workers away for 10, 20 years to make their living somewhere else and then wait for them to come back. We really need North Virginia to be a place that offers all of the options from college graduate to kind of early career to mid-career to late career to retirement and, and everything happening in one place here. And you're right, salaries and wages is one of the challenges, especially for kind of early, set, early, you know, early career and even mid-career can be a challenge. And long-term, we need to get companies that provide better-paying kind of early, mid-career type jobs in Northwest Indiana. But it's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem because if the workers aren't wanting to stay here, then why would a company locate here if they don't have the workers? And if we can kind of overcome that, I think we can improve it dramatically. And, and so this is where I think talking about like the South Shore Line extension is incredibly important. When you have um, you know, the South Shore Line running faster, more frequently, um, it suddenly becomes possible to live and, and commute into Chicago. So, you know, once the extension is done, the commute from Michigan City is suddenly going to be comparable to, you know, commute from a suburb out west of Chicago. And we can at least bring the people here. And, and maybe, you know, the lower cost of education, the quality of life is enough to convince somebody, um, you know, who, who wouldn't normally live in Northwest Indiana because the pay isn't as good to, you know, be able to live here and either commute or, or work remotely and be close enough to go in one or two days a week if needed. Um, and, and we can bring the workforce here and really develop the workforce. And once you have that kind of middle workforce that we're missing, where you have educated workers that are skilled and, and early to kind of the middle of their career, um, then it's much easier to make the argument that companies could locate here. And, and, and then you kind of solve that problem. But, but really, the chicken or egg problem, and you have to kind of tackle either one end or the other. We've been focusing a lot on trying to get companies here, but without the labor force, without the workforce to support them, it just doesn't happen. So, so I see the transportation uh, kind of changes being an integral solution to that. So growing up, um, I saw firsthand uh, when we moved from the south side of Chicago to Indianapolis uh, Fishers, which has just exponentially grown beyond my wildest imagination. At the time, my dad worked in Anderson, and he was a comptroller for uh, a plant and made the commute up into Anderson. And I saw in real time the effects of the Midwest industries pulling back from the Midwest and the job loss and the issues that you have there. We then go from Indianapolis to Milwaukee, and we live in Milwaukee before Milwaukee got cool again. And Milwaukee, trust me, right now, if you haven't been to Milwaukee in the last oh, yeah, 10, 20 years, it is not the Milwaukee of old. It is a beautiful, fantastic city. They've done a great job of really remodeling and redesigning that. But again, we I saw old Milwaukee, not the beer, 
but you know the Milwaukee of old kind of run down and old and people were leaving and then what happens in Lake County well steel mills are closing those those manufacturing jobs you know feel like they're drying up a little bit. I know that we talked about that uh, earlier, well, earlier this year, last year, um, because we're, we're at the turn of the year now, uh, talking about some of those those steel mill production work jobs. And, um, you know, my, my, my thought on that is, you know, that former blue wall of the Midwest that where we think of like Detroit and we think of Milwaukee and Chicago and Cleveland and all of these different places, South Bend even, um, you know, if you remember the opening scene in Rudy when they're at the factory, that was very yeah. much life, yeah. you know, in these old steel mill towns that, you know, so many kids are leaving that it's just they're, they're vacant parking lots. Right. You, you can go anywhere now. You can go on Route 30 and there's, you know, 20 or 30 empty buildings where they can't get people to, you know, move in to, to open a business. And so. You know, I, I see that as a trend across the Midwest. Uh, have you seen anybody across the Midwest really do something different? I obviously we, we talked about Milwaukee. Um, Detroit has done a really uh, uh, some really tough work to try to scale back the size of the city and regrow it. You know, everybody who runs for mayor in the city of Gary claims that they're going to rebuild Gary. They're going to bring yeah, reimagine Gary. They're going to bring Gary back, but it keeps not happening. What has to happen for that kind of initiative to take place? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the end, end goal. Is how do we, you know, do what's happened to Milwaukee and other places in Northwest Indiana? And um, you know, it's not just Milwaukee. Uh, you mentioned a couple of those towns that maybe you could throw in Philadelphia. If you move out of the Midwest, but it's some more kind of industrial town, you can look at like maybe Denver or San Antonio as well. A lot of these places have had a lot of success with reimagining themselves and making them a place that people want to be. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to look at, say, okay, we, we have people moving in to Northwest Indiana, but they're mostly younger, maybe coming to college or older near the end, middle or kind of the end of their career. How do we get that middle section to move here? How do we get the 20-year-olds, the 30-year-olds to want to live in Northwest Indiana? And I think that's that's a perspective that we haven't really focused on in, in, in Indiana as a whole, in, in Northwest Indiana especially. It's kind of been historically, well, what do we need to, what tax incentives do we need to provide to attract another manufacturing firm? And, and that might have worked, you know, 40, 50 years ago. But now the question is, how do we make Northwest Indiana be an environment where 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds, as well as the younger and older generations, want to live and be and grow? What kind of amenities do they need? And I, I think we're in a really good position to do that because a lot of the places that have been successful haven't had nearly as many resources as we have. I mean, we have the South Shore Line. We have major railroads that can be attractive, you know, uh, resources for big firms to locate here. We have all these logistics. We have international ports. We have the national parks. I, I could go on and on and on. There's a lot of things we have to, uh, we have here that we can use. But the question is, how do you bring them all together and kind of have them work in concert to create an environment where somebody in, you know, Denver will learn about Northwest Indiana and go, wow, that sounds like a really cool place. Um, maybe it's a place I'd like to live. We're talking with Micah Pollock, economist and professor at IUN here on Regionally Speaking. I'm Tom Maloney. She's Dee Dotson. And Micah, once the 20 and 30-year-olds move and stay here, we got to get them to support public radio. But that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> Dee. Absolutely. So I was listening to the two of you talk, um, and I was reminded of a conversation that I had just this past New Year's Eve with my daughter, who's home on break um, from Nashville, from school, and her friends. And I think you guys kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, we were 
you're talking to them about postgraduate plans, you know, returning to the region and all of that. And one thing they said, Tom, and you just said it, is that when they come home, they are totally bored. They are in schools in some of the cool towns. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is a part of the reason that the younger, the 20-year-olds that are just graduating from uh, from college, they don't want to return. Yeah, jobs are, are great. You can probably get a job at, at a mill or some factory or whatever, or, you know, we do have some tech jobs here as well. But they, speaking to that quality of life, they also want that cool factor, and that's something that is lacking here. They all complained on New Year's Eve that they were bored out of their mind here. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. They no, all complained. I mean, Northwest Indiana, I don't think anyone would call it cool up here. I mean, maybe compared to some parts of more rural counties. But right. Yeah, and I think that's what you have to address. Right? You have to figure out how do you make Northwest Indiana cool. Exactly. And, and there's lots of pieces to that. Like, just as an example, one is that our housing is not very interesting, right? So if you wanted to, you know, have somebody graduate college and move here, we don't have a lot of attractive housing options. We have lots and lots of single-family homes, lots of bigger ones. Um, we don't have necessarily that many apartments, but we don't have no. cool condos or right. townhomes that are close. And to they, all like, a, cool a, a right. they all live in cool condos. They all live in cool condos. Those brownstones yeah, you see on the that. East Coast that are just, you know, you want to live in those because that's what you see in the movies versus, you know, your your generic apartment complex. Right, right. And so I think that's why, like, the transportation-oriented districts are going to be a game changer for that because we're, when they're done, you're going to have these hubs that are focused around stops on the South Shore Line where you've got, you know, condos and apartments and you've got restaurants you've got other cool shops and you can live there and it's fun because you have stuff around you but also you could hop on the train and go to chicago in like 20 minutes or you know half an hour or whatever it is you know depending where you are and i think we need to leverage that more and i think once we see the transportation in, in oriented districts taking off um i think it's going to be a, a real powerful model for a lot of the rest of the development of northwest indiana where you can have a lot of concentrated business and living and everything and dining all kind of in one place which makes it cool right that's a, a place where people want to live um and, and then you know that'll kind of be an important way to kind of jump start um you know changing the image of northwest indiana into a cool place so micah what do you what do you see for the future of the region we the blog post of course talking about the last 10 years and looking at the uh the census data in terms of what's happening, but uh, that little nugget in there, you, you touched on it earlier in the conversation, was the fact that we have seen actual growth in the last couple of years, but we saw so much loss those first uh, seven or eight years. What do you see for the next 10 years? What What is the uh, the 2030 census going to look like? I mean, I think we're, we're in a good position. I, I really think, I, I've been in Northwest Indiana about a decade now, and even in the 10 years I've been here, I, I've seen the trajectory going towards um, you know, Northwest India being successful, growing economically, becoming a place people want to live. The quality of life stuff, is, you know, has improved. You know, the trails, for one, you know, didn't really exist or weren't well connected previously, and, and now they are. And so there's all these selling points and these attractive aspects of Northwest Indiana that are starting to come together. And, you know, as an economist, I believe in market forces. And I think what you're seeing is over the last few decades, the market is kind of pushing us towards economic success. And maybe we're just not embracing it as much as we could be or finding ways to kind of work with that. Um, and, and maybe we're tripping over our own feet or something. But ultimately, those kind of market forces are going to push us towards being a successful area. Because, again, we have so many resources, so many amenities um, that, you know, other parts of the United States don't. I mean, Northwest Indiana is a truly unique place. There's nothing in the United States that is like it, just in terms of proximity to a big city and all the other aspects. And I think that despite 
you know, maybe our, our, our challenges that we faced. I, I, I think by 2030, we're going to see this trend accelerating because once you become a cool place, it, it kind of snowballs and everyone knows it's a cool place and everyone wants to be there. And, and I think we're on the kind of the cusp of that. Maybe, I, I don't know if it'll be by 2030, but in the next you know, 5, 10, 15 years, I think we'll kind of have, have, have gone beyond that and we'll become a place that people want to locate and will be a desirable place to live, not just a stepping stone or a means to the end. It'll be kind of the means to the end where the end is here as well. Micah, you're on Substack for the uh, the blog, right? How do folks track that down? Uh, the easiest way is just to go to regionecon.com, and that'll take you to the blog, and you can subscribe there for free. I don't have any plans to monetize it. Everything I post there is freely available to everyone else. Um, and, again, it's a little bit of an experiment. So if there's specific topics, I, I have a post there with, like, tell me what you want to hear about. And, you know, if you got this specific question or something like that, I'd, you know, put it there, and I'd be happy to make up a blog post about it or, or look at some data and kind of get back to you. But it's just regionecon. One word, R-E-G-I-O-N-E-C-O-N.com. It'll take you there. And uh, Twitter, Facebook, Mastodon, where else can folks track you down? Yeah, I still have a Twitter account. It's uh, Micah Pollock on Twitter. I'm also on Mastodon. It's just Pollock at MSPDN.social if you want to try me there. That's where I'm a little bit more active lately. Micah Pollock is an associate professor of economics at Indiana University Northwest, as well as the author behind the new blog, The Region Economist. Micah, thanks so much for the conversation today, and uh, let me know when the uh, the neighbors move in. I'll let you know when mine move in as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Tom and Dee. This is Regionally Speaking, and welcome back to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Radio. What's the best way to address the unhoused population in northwest Indiana? Well, there's a common but misguided view that homelessness is simply the result of bad choices. But data, as well as the testimony of people with the lived experience of homelessness, confirmed that homelessness happens when housing markets are so tight that people cannot stay in their homes or secure a new home when they need to. Additionally, inadequate social safety nets and difficulty assessing social services compound the problem. With the right services and supports, including stable housing, People can and do leave homelessness behind and secure better futures for themselves and their families. The Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority, along with partner agencies across the state, are seeking volunteers to conduct a one-night count of the homeless population on Wednesday, January 25th. So we turn now to one of the people behind a local organization that works to fight homelessness in the region. Marcus Martin is the founder and executive director of Grace Beyond Borders, NWI, Inc. Marcus, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate uh, having this opportunity, especially at the beginning of the year. So, Marcus, if you will, please take a moment to tell our listening audience about Grace Beyond Borders, as well as the services that your organization provides to the unhoused right here in the region. Well, our mission uh, offering hope, love, care, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to all who enters our doors. Uh, we provide food, clothing, and lodging to those in need, and we minister to the total person, body, mind, and spirit. So we offer programs that will consist of classes in which we help them with some of the challenges they have in their lives and also to build life skills. And one of our key programs is to go out 
on the streets. That's our outreach programs. When people say outreach, sometimes they just mean they reach out for people to come to them, but we go out to the people on the streets, and we call them our invisible neighbors. So when you think about Northwest Indiana, right, you think about the American dream, the house with the white picket fence, the family-friendly community, of course, great schools for your children, and so on. And so for many, the ideal of a homeless population right here in the region seems unlikely. People, they either don't see it, or sadly sometimes, they just ignore it. Homelessness is often considered a bit of a social problem faced in major cities like our neighbor Chicago. But Marcus, you work right in the community night after night after night, and you see it a bit differently, correct? Yes. Uh, now, in the larger cities, you will probably see uh, more of the homeless population out. But in the smaller cities now, they are what we call invisible. And we know, and because we have a lot of contact on the streets, for example, we just finished our ninth annual holiday outdoor lunch. And we started that in 2014 for the simple fact that some places that serve lunches to the homeless were closed from Christmas Eve through New Year's. And we said, well, what about the lunches? I mean, they still need those. So we started that. And what we found out was that they're out there. And in fact, on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, actually, I was at, I went to the Gary Metro Center, Adam Benjamin Metro Center, and served breakfast to a population that most people did not know existed. And not only served breakfast, but passed out what we called our survival kits, socks, hand warmers, and also we made sure they had all the personal hygiene that they would need. And they were very, very grateful that someone, Grace Beyond Borders, and our supporters remembered them. And that's key. The population yeah. um, is going to be seen differently in smaller towns because most smaller towns do not want to have that visible in their community. Much larger cities can get away with that, but the smaller towns, the smaller cities uh, do not want to have a very visible homeless population. So they stay in what they call the shadows, and only certain churches and organizations that work with them will know where they are. We're speaking with Marcus Martin, the founder and executive director of Grace Beyond Borders NWI, Inc., so, Marcus, your organization hosts many fundraising events, including a campaign called Peer-to-Peer Challenge. And I heard you say something about giving in the past that really struck a chord. And that was, and I'm going to paraphrase a bit, but something along the lines of people tend to give their spare change instead of the real change that people need. And I'm going to tell you something that literally made me rethink how I give, and it implored me to give with intention. So take a moment to unpack your stance on offering real change to people, not just spare change. Thank you. Yes, because we spend a lot of time on the streets, I often see people who, with a generous heart, will give to uh, someone who is standing outdoors panhandling. And what they don't know is oftentimes the panhandlers are feeding, feeding an addiction. And we know that because we come in contact with them, and we also uh, provide services to them. But people don't realize that that's just going to keep them on the streets doing what they're doing, where when they give 
their spare change to Grace Beyond Borders, we can actually begin to help individuals have real change in their lives and help them move out of the addiction into some type of help. Now, we don't, all the homeless uh, individuals and families we deal with are not, uh, have, do not have any addictions. It's just, um, I noticed that panhandlers generally will um, be out soliciting dollars and, uh, for, to feed their habits. So we see the difference, but we get real change, and that what makes the difference. We help, our goal is to help people in their homeless situation, which takes, which takes time. It's not a quick fix, but we put them on the road to where they are able to get up on their feet and um, move forward. In fact, I saw a uh, young woman who we had assisted and helped, provided uh, overnight accommodations until she got on her feet and in, in, in terms of being able to have her own place to live. So what happened was, and that was back, I'm going to say in back in February when she came to us and we dealt with that. And you should see the excitement that she had. <laughs> she was so excited when I saw her because she was just thrilled that one, she had the opportunity and the stability to get on her feet because people provided their donations, their dollars provided real change for her. So she was able to uh, have that, that time in which she would be able to have a bed, shower, laundry, meals, until she was able to get her own place and continue to be employed. So that type of situation is, is exciting when we see the real change. And uh, she will be sharing her story on our Grace Beyond Borders website. So she's agreed to come in. And she wants to volunteer and help the next person. Now, that's real change. Wow, that indeed is real change. But it also speaks to the level of gratitude your former client has for everything that Grace Beyond Borders did for her by her insistence of paying it forward with service. And I think it's safe to say that we're all looking forward to hearing her testimony. Now, Marcus, one of the reasons that I wanted to speak with you is because the Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority and partner agencies across the state are conducting a one-night count of the homeless population on January 25th. Now, as we've shared throughout our conversation, you work directly with this underserved population. So take a moment to tell us why this count is so important. Well, it's tied to funding and, you know, to show the real problem of the unsheltered, as well as those who are sheltered. You know, that count is very important because sometimes with all the help that may be given to those who are homeless may think that, oh, it's starting to decline, and that's not the case. Because of the housing shortage and the increase in rental fees, people are really facing a hardship and falling into homelessness. And there, you know, those numbers, uh, I would say, are increasing. So, you know, that count on January 25th is, is very vital and important. As you shared, that given the high rental rates, unaffordable housing, steadily climbing interest rates, and add to that the fact that we are literally staring down the barrel of a recession, I don't think that it's far-fetched to say that we are all literally one to two paycheck away from being unhoused, correct? Absolutely. And people don't realize that they have people from outside of Northwest Indiana are buying properties up in Northwest Indiana and are increasing rent or the individuals who may have 
been living there five, six, seven years are asked to leave. Now, the difficulty is finding comparable uh, uh, rent rental, and that's where the problem begins. When they have to move, they're forced to move, and then they cannot find a place within their budget to rent. So now they fall into that homeless trap. So we see that quite often because we get a lot of referrals. Uh, we come in contact, you know, because of the shortages that's going on with shelters and with housing, we get a lot of referrals. So we hear the stories. We work with them the best that we can. But when there's a housing shortage, it makes it very difficult to move people forward in a timely basis. But we keep searching and we keep working toward uh, finding housing opportunities. Marcus, so I just had a thought. We're discussing the homeless population in Northwest Indiana and the need to provide access to resources, but there are not a lot of emergency shelters available for the unhoused in the region. And then add to that, most only offer shelter overnight. And with the weather changing, this can lead to exposure to environmental issues like extremely cold weather, correct? Oh, most definitely. And uh, there are shelters that operate 24 hours and uh, the key to that is people still have to go out because, you know, job search, also connecting with some of the social services that are available. So people are going to be moving around. But then you have that element uh, still with some cases of COVID still being around and you have that type of risk. But the cost is quite high in terms of operating facility to accommodate individuals on a 24-hour basis. and Quite, you know, because it's nonprofit. It's not a profit making. You're not charging individuals who come in, even though some places do. But is that enough to really help them with the cost of the, you know, operation? So that's the challenge. But yet we keep moving forward to making sure that uh, we address that issue to our best of our ability. So, Marcus, earlier you noted that Grace Beyond Borders provides a hand up, not a handout. What does that look like? Well, we had a case of, um, unfortunately, domestic violence that involved a mom and her children, uh, all under the age of 10 and under. And, you know, that situation required, one, to make sure that uh, that mom and the children were in a safe place. But also, we knew that, okay, we had to work toward housing. And that's, that was a challenge. Uh, in terms of helping an individual who may not be employed, you know, she had uh, the younger children. So now we had to move forward to see, connect her with these uh, resources. We had set goals with her and also helped her move forward to go out and seek those services that would help and assist her. And she's now in housing thanks to, you know, the opportunities that are out there. But that started in, uh, I want to say, July. And she just got into housing uh, this past month. Wow. So, but she never had to spend any time on the street. There were, you know, some gaps in the time, but she um, was able, we assisted her to make sure that, especially during, you know, this, the, the frigid weather, we definitely were not allow her to be on the street. So we assisted her on uh, her family went overnight until she, her housing came through and, you know, that's the challenge. You know, in offering a hand up, we want people out there. We want people, when we give them uh, resources to check, the phone calls to make, we want them very active 
in terms of helping in their homeless situation. Also, there are times when individuals need medical or mental health assistance. So we have to also make sure that they connect with that. So we, we do ask that they have a health screening and mental health screening when they come in, just to make sure that we address all the issues, the root problem of their homeless situation. We want to get down to some of the real causes, not just the surface things that are contributing to their homeless situation. So that's part of the hand up and connecting them with all the resources that they need and making sure they're willing to follow through in terms of, of seeking those services and following up. That's critical. Not only is that critical, that's something that I actually never even gave thought to. We're speaking with Marcus Martin, the founder and executive director of Grace Beyond Borders, NWI, Inc. So, Marcus, what are some impactful ways that community members can give to Grace Beyond Borders to support the homeless population in northwest Indiana? I mean, of course, monetary donations are always much needed and welcome. But are there some additional ways that we can all give to help support the homeless population all year long? Yes, that's a great question. And I think one of the things uh, individuals can do, and I heard, I've had this uh, certainly happen uh, this past month, and that one of the companies and another individual called Grace Beyond Boards and said, what do you need? And that's a critical question in terms of what we really need and what would really help. So last month, we needed sleepwear. And thanks to Kawan Short Charities, we have over 48 different sizes of sleepwear for uh, women, wow. all because they ask. Another company that contacted us asked about what we need, and we said coats. We need winter coats. So they uh, had a coat drive, and they brought coats over. They called us uh, and, and made sure that we receive those and and, and um, individuals call. We have an individual bringing in uh, women uh, underclothing. That's, you know, those are things we needed and that was very urgent for us to have. And so that's one way. And then, you know, we always also are seeking volunteers. Volunteers can come in once a month, once a week to help out and to help on our site. There's different things they can do, and they can simply go on our uh, gracebeyondborders.org website, and, and there's a volunteer link uh, that's connected to our donate page, and there's a volunteer link, and they can uh, simply fill out the form and um, send back to us, and we will contact them for the orientation and see uh, some things that they would like to do. But those are ways, you know, even transporting. Some of our clients uh, do not have transportation, so an individual with a good driving record, and we make sure things are safe, and we uh, that individual may have a, a doctor appointment, and the volunteer can certainly drive them to their doctor appointment or wherever, or to see a, uh, an apartment. So there's a variety of ways that individuals can come in and help groups can come in and provide the meal for uh, uh, the week or a day. So those are very uh, the variety of things that can be done, and it just goes to individuals uh, for our volunteer application and us following up with them for orientation. Those are some of the ways. 
Marcus, in the few minutes that we have left, if someone is experiencing homelessness right now and would like to connect with your organization to gain access to resources, how can they reach you at Grace Beyond Borders? We get a lot of calls on our business line. It's 219-392-9932. Again, that's 219-392-9932. Or some individuals will go onto our website and send a message through our chat. And we receive that in our email and we respond back to them. And when they do that, they must leave a phone number or contact a way that we can contact them once we receive the message, and we will follow up with a phone call. But it's important that they leave a phone number, which doesn't always happen. They, you know, they may share what the problem is, and we'll email back. But it's important that they leave a phone number, a way to contact them. And finally, Marcus, for someone that may be listening right now, and they would like to make a donation, or they would like to volunteer with Grace Beyond Borders, can you share once again how they can connect with you? Because we serve as individuals 365 days a year, they can go simply onto our website, gracebeyondborders.org, and click on the Donate button, and there's pay through PayPal or through their uh, credit card, and simply make a payment. They, if they want to uh, make it a recurring donation monthly, they, there's a setup for that. And also, again, a lot of people communicate through Facebook message. Uh, we have a Facebook page, Grace Beyond Borders, and some people uh, communicate through me uh, to me through the uh, Facebook messaging and ask what ways they can help out or, or what do we need. Marcus Martin is the founder and executive director of Grace Beyond Borders, NWI, Inc. Marcus, thank you once again for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you. God bless you. Grace Beyond Borders will host a lunch distribution Monday, January 16th, 2023, in recognition of Dr. Martin Luther King Day at the Salvation Army East Chicago Core Community Center, as well as the Gary Metro Center. The organization is requesting donations as well as volunteers. For more information, you can visit www.gracebeyondborders.org. Once again, the Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority, or the IHCDA, and partner agencies across the Hoosier State are seeking volunteers to conduct a one-night count of the homeless population on Wednesday, January 25, 2023. Those interested in volunteering can register by visiting the Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority page and searching for the point-in-time count. The agency requests that volunteers register no later than January 20th, 2023. You can also find a link to the registration page by visiting this story on lakeshorepublicradio.org and search for Grace Beyond Borders. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for this week. We'll be back with you next week. <music>